And the first thing we're going to do is just remind ourselves of the story of Adam and Eve. And I need a little help in order to tell that story. And I'm, so I'm going to call the kids up. And however you define yourself, I'm not going to say who is a kid and who isn't. But I happen to know that there are a few kids under 10, come on up, um, who actually know this story quite well and will be good helpers to me as I'm telling it. Okay, are you guys, thank you for coming up. <laughs> and I don't know why it doesn't surprise me, Doug, that you are also coming up <laughs> and anybody else. I'm just saying, if I were to predict who is the kid at heart, there you are. Um, but I'm going to ask you guys to help me tell this story. And it's the story of Adam and Eve. Do you know that story? Yeah. Okay. They're giving me a thumbs up that they're on board with me. So... Let me just get my, I'm going to try to, oh, what will I try to do here? I'm going to try to kind of give us some visuals. I'm going a little old school here uh, because I am kind of old school. And, you know, I feel much more comfortable with a device in my hand that I can make marks with. So not necessarily art, but still marks. So we're going to tell the story about Adam and Eve. Who was Adam? Um, Give me, just, you can just say some things about him that you might know. He named all uh, the animals. Okay, he named all of the animals. That's great. He was, he was a guy, right? We're going to put him over here. I told you, it wasn't going to be art. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to belittle it. You're right. He was a guy. I don't know how we will know he's a guy, but... He was naked. There are no clothes on him. It's true. He's naked. And you're right. He... Uh, I can't draw all the animals, but there were animals in this world, in the garden, right? Penguins? If you say. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That must be fun. But I'm just going to, we have a, a couple of animals, and he, we have some, I think I need another color. Everything can't be green. Although in this garden, a lot of things were green. But we're going to, right? There were birds, things in the air. There were fish. So there were, so there were animals, and there were also, but let's, but let, let's not forget his, the other main character in this play is Eve, right? And Eve had long hair. Eve had long hair. Okay, Eve was a, a girl. 
also. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? I don't know if Eve had long hair, but I don't think there was anyone there to cut it. So Adam might have had some long hair too. <laughs> but we're going to give Eve some long hair because all of us girls will feel good. We all like long hair. And they were happy in this garden, weren't they? Oh, there was so many. Let's just. Uh, what? There were oceans and what? There were apple trees and bushes. Okay, well, he's jumping, and I love it. So for, let's just go to that tree. I was going to put garden stuff, but we all know they lived in a beautiful garden, right? But, and there were already trees. There were all kinds of trees, right? But there's one tree we're going to talk about today, right? Now, this is where I could use the green to, to great effect. <laughs> Let me... Uh, yes, but now that I put green in it, it, it doesn't, right? <laughs> you just have to use your imagination. See? Now it, it kind of looks like a tree. And what kind of tree was it? The tree that God told them not to eat Well, what kind of tree was it first? A fruit tree. was a fruit tree. We keep thinking it's an apple tree. It might have been. I, is it an apple? Well, it's So it's an apple tree today. <laughs> That's right. So now, what did God tell them? Okay. I'm going to actually, this is, I'm going to get my note sheet out. Because I want to say exactly what we were told that God told them. Because it becomes critical because they're asked what God told them. And what God told them directly is, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. So there's lots of trees. It says you can eat any of that fruit except... And this is what you were getting at. Except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, so that's this tree that we're depicting. He's saying, if you eat this fruit, you are sure to die. That's what we're told God said to them. Now, there's one other player in this story, isn't there? And it's a serpent. And I don't really even know what the serpent looked like because what we see the serpent as today isn't exactly what the serpent looked like then. I don't know, but you know, since I think it must have walked around. Because that was one of the things it no longer could do after the end of this story. And I also know that it could talk. And I know that it could talk because it talked to 
actually. I have it pointing to Adam, but it actually talked to Eve. And what it said is, did God say that you couldn't eat from any of these trees? Is that what God said? Can you remember what God said? Um, he said you can eat from any tree freely except the one that symbolizes good and evil and the bad and good. I should have had you say it. <laughs> you wouldn't have had to read it. That, but that's exactly right. The snake was trying to trick Eve and say, oh, you can't have any of this. And she goes, no, 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 that's not what happened. We can have any of it. We just can't have from this tree. Or, and then the snake, okay, he couldn't trick him, so then he uses another ploy. He actually says a downright lie. And he says, oh, I don't think you're going to die. You know, are you, really? And all of a sudden... Eve is beginning to think, yeah, is that really what God is like? He loves me. Will I die? And she was looking at this fruit, and it looked really good. She really wondered what it tasted. And what would be so wrong about having more knowledge and knowing what was good and bad? That actually sounded like a pretty good deal as well. And so she ends up, what does she end up doing? So, so here, she eats, she takes an apple, she eats it, she offers it to Adam. He goes, okay, it didn't take much convincing. He didn't need the serpent, he just needed, you know, a fellow person, his friend, to... To say, and all of a sudden, because this was a tree of knowledge, they looked around and they go, "Oh my gosh, we're naked." Now, I I really don't know why that is a big deal. There's whole groups of people in this world that go around naked, but that was something that that like they realized, "Oh, we're naked." And when God came through, because God would walk through this garden and he would talk with Adam and Eve. And, and so he was doing his kind of nightly visit and going, Adam, Eve. And what did they do when they heard God coming? They hid. And I can't draw that, but I can say that those smiles they had went to fear because they knew that they, I don't know, I don't know why. Maybe they were um, afraid and hid because they knew they had disobeyed. Maybe they were afraid and hid because they were naked and they were ashamed of being naked. Um, they do say, talk about that because when God call, finds them and sees that they were hiding, he goes, what's going on here? Why are you hiding? And do you remember what they said when he said, when he asked them? Yes, 
Okay, I don't know if you all heard that, but he is totally embedded in this story. And he's, he says that when God found them and they were hiding, God asked, why are you hiding? And they said, because we ate the apple. Or, or God said, they actually said, because we're naked. But he knew that they wouldn't even know that. Or maybe he asked them how they knew. How do you know you're naked? And that that's something to hide from. And then they confessed that they had eaten from that tree that he said they couldn't. And he goes, what happened? And, and Adam goes, it was her. She gave me that apple. And so God says, Eve? And Eve says, it was that snake. He made me eat that. He, he made me eat that apple. And so uh, God looks at the snake, and this is why I know the snake doesn't look like this anymore. doesn't have feet anymore because the thing God said is that he was going to have, from then on, the snake would have to crawl around on its belly. And since snakes don't talk anymore, um, I think maybe he did something to their vocal cords too. I'm not sure. Scripturally, it just talks about how he got around on the ground. So what do, do you remember what he said to, to Eve? He said, it's okay. You can eat it. You will die. Okay. You will just do better. And he said, okay. And she took yep. a bite. Yep, and that's, that's what the snake said. But what God said when he found out what she had done is she, he said, okay, you're going to have a lot of pain in your life. It's not going to be easy to have kids and go about your life. And he said to Adam, it's going to be hard for you to till the soil. He actually says in the Bible he cursed the ground making it very hard to grow things. In this garden, it was so easy for things to grow, right? They, they, it was plush. It was beautiful. But he was, God was going to turn that around so that now they were going to have to work for their food. Yeah, yeah. And the, the last thing, he's right, it is, the last thing that he did is says, you can't stay here in the garden because you aren't going to be able to not eat from that tree and that is not going to be good for you. And so they lost their place in the garden. And they went to outside the garden. God closed the garden up and that's kind of a sad moment for us, right? Yeah. I love fruit. Uh, we all love fruit. It's much harder now to get <laughs> than, it, than it was there. Okay, so that's the story. You guys were a great help. You can, you can go back to, to your seats and we're going to continue on. Oh, my goodness. You know, I, I asked uh, Linda if these kids knew, well, 
we asked if they knew the stories of Genesis. She goes, oh, yes, oh, yes. They probably know the stories we're going to talk about in the series a little bit more than we do. So they're going to be good teachers for us. Okay. However, this is a story. Is there anybody in this room that this was the first time you heard this story? A lot of us have heard it from just as young as that and could probably help tell that story. This is, and it isn't even just, you don't have to just be a Christian to know this story, right? This is uh, a story that's in our culture and almost everyone can knows this story, quotes this story. Uh, it's as much a part of our social culture uh, talk as it is um, within our, our faith groups. And, uh, and it's been that way, I, can, I don't know, maybe since this story happened, but certainly for as long as our history goes back, this story has been out there and told and repeated. So you would think by 2023 we would have figured out what the meaning of this story is and that um, we would have some agreement one way or the other of what was happening, what, what was wrong with what Adam and Eve did that got them kicked out of the garden and, uh, and just what is sin. And yet, I would say that's one of the biggest debates we have as a community, both inside the church and with the bigger, broader community. And as I was thinking about, okay, now I'm going to be talking about one of the most core stories to our faith. You know, this Jesus doesn't make a whole lot of sense without understanding this story. And... Um, not, and not just understanding this story, but how does it relate to our stories? And in what way do we echo and participate with Adam and Eve? And you may think that I'm going to spend the next however many minutes I have telling you the answer to that. But I don't know the answer either because I'm just like everybody else. I've been noodling on that my whole life, from the time when I was told it in Sunday school to when I became my own uh, committed Christian and then through the last uh, 30, 40 years. So I, I'm thinking, I don't know the answer, but I think there's great value in us talking about it and sharing with each other and to keep it thinking on it and praying and asking God for revelation about it because it, it molds what we think about Jesus. And it's our story. So we're going to spend today doing, I have a couple questions I'm going to ask over the course of the day. One of them is, what was Adam and Eve's sin? 
and what is our sin. Now, sin, that's a word, isn't it? We don't like to use it too much in 2023. So I don't care if you don't want to own up to that word. What is it that Adam and Eve did that got them kicked out of the garden? What is it that we do? And I'm not really talking about the particulars. I mean, it is... I. It's fine. You can talk about whatever you want. And I'm sure at some point we're going to say, well, the Ten Commandments, there it is. We were laid out what we should do, and if we don't do that, then that's sin. But I hope that we think a little deeper than that. It's like, why is that sin? What's happening when when God gives us a whole list of of do's and don'ts and if we don't do that and when is it that we don't do it that's a huge conversation it's going to be longer than we have time for today but i just want us to to kind of talk at our tables and with each other about what we think this is because i know each and every one of us thinks something about this and um so yeah so let's let's just talk i i promised you that we were going to have table conversation if you're at a table alone or without enough people feel free to move around uh but but have a discussion and then i'll call you back and we'll do a little group share after that So how was the conversation around your tables? Was it really straightforward? Hey, we know we know this story, we know this definition, we're gonna here's what it means. They didn't use the word what? Sin. Okay, she's bringing up the sin. Where did sin come from? I I'm not I, I I'm not knowledgeable enough to know when that went into our vernacular. David probably would be a better one at that. But it can but you're right, scripturally it never says you sinned. Uh it never even says you disobey, does it? I don't think it uses that term. Does it use that? Okay. So, I mean, our, our modern interpretation of that is disobedience, right? And the Christian interpretation of disobedience like that is sin. But you... Romans. Okay, so it is back there. Okay, so, I mean, I can't attest that that word wasn't used before then, but where we're beginning to hear it is when Paul is trying to explain what Jesus did. So, um, Genesis 4-7. Peter, can you look up 4-7 on your uh, handy-dandy phone there? 
Okay, let's, let's start. I, I meant to start um, writing some of this down. We have talked about disobedience. Now I really feel like a teacher. <laughs> no, actually, I'm, I, I now have my comfort hat on. <laughs> and sin, although this isn't actually comfortable to teach about this because I don't know the answers to it. Okay, sin, that's an... In, so we see that it does show up in Scripture. It's even maybe in Genesis and um, throughout Disobedience. What are some of the other things that you talked about at tables? Broken relationship with God and between God and Adam and Eve. So I'm going to collapse that down into one word and and say distrusting. Is that okay? Doug, did you have something? Okay, and she wanted all of those things, right? So can I collapse those three terms down to the word desire? Or would a, I mean, she had a desire for that fruit. A what? Well, I'm not, I'm not putting a judgment on it. She just had a desire for it. When she looked at it, she wanted it. Okay. So I'm going to put lust. Okay. She wanted it. Okay. Anything, Tom? Okay, I'm going to push back. Did the serpent actually really say what she should do? Didn't, didn't, didn't the serpent just say what probably wasn't going to happen if she did it? No, if the serpent wasn't there, I'm assuming she would not have eaten. Okay, she, uh, 
I think all three players had to be, four if you count God, had to be involved in this. Um, but we're going to say there's an outside force. But I'm going to say from an outside source because we all have that lust is our own temptation. We, we have ten, we're tempted to do things with or without anybody speaking in our ear. But then there was a factor in the garden that was really pricking that really bringing that to the surface and making it feel like, well, maybe I'm, maybe it won't happen. Maybe that, what God said isn't true. I'd like to believe that. It doesn't say that in scripture, but if I were to bring that down to what happens in my own life, I go like, well, is it really wrong? Hmm. I, I can find a lot of reasons why it could be right. <laughs> and um, and that I, I will also say, I, I just ask you this, how, how straightforward was that conversation? Because at our table, there was a lot of like, well, eating an apple or not eating an apple, pretty black and white. I know when I, when, we know when we succeeded. If we have not eaten the apple, doesn't matter if, if we listened to the serpent or not. If we didn't eat it, we succeeded. If we ate it, we failed. But today, it doesn't feel so straightforward. Emily? Those, those stories that God gives us are so tricky that way. <laughs> we don't really get a, hey, I'm not eating apples for the rest of my life, just in case one of them is coming from the wrong tree. <laughs> but, um, well, let me go on to the next question. And uh, this question, you're going to have to just give me... Uh, some grace about because it's kind of a weird question. Um, so let's imagine you're in your car, it's at night, the streets are all kind of quiet and closed down, everybody's home in their bed, and you come up to a stoplight, and all you can think of, oh, I know this stoplight. This is actually a very common story in my life because there's a stoplight by where I live that it has to be the longest stoplight in the world. And you always get caught there because the green light is really long on the other side and really their stop is very short. So it's a very side street. Give, it gives priority to the other street. 
there have been many a night that I've been at that and going like, I just want to get home. There is absolutely no one on this street. I'm just going to go. And then I go, should I? Anyway, I, I'm asking you that question. You're, you're, you're there at a, at a stoplight. Doesn't look like there's anybody there to see you. Doesn't look like there's anybody there who, who's going to get hurt if you move forward. And there's a lot you feel to gain by just keeping going and moving forward. Or another scenario we could say, and I will also add to your table conversation, you're on the interstate. Speed limit, 70 miles per hour. Everybody around you is going 80 plus miles per hour. So... Do you go with the traffic flow? Do you say, no, it's 70 miles an hour, even though I've been on the road for a long time and I would really like to get there just as fast as I can. And everybody's going, what's the harm? So I, I want you to break up, you know, again into your table groups and just talk about what you would do. You don't have to say what Adam and Eve would do or what God is telling you. Well, I don't know. You could talk about what God is telling you to do in that circumstance. But just just kind of, we're all friends here and like, what do we do? And why do we do it? Why do we make the choices we make? This may feel a bit peculiar when we're talking about what we're talking about today. I actually have, this, have had this conversation and asked these questions periodically through my whole life. And my house group can attest <laughs> to having a traffic night <laughs> where we talked about these um, things. And, and um, so I've, I've heard a lot of different responses to it. I mean, we all probably have, I've never heard someone, unless they just didn't drive at all, say that they never, well, that's not something I would ever do and ever have done. Um, me included, so I'm not asking this from a position of, well, you should do this, or what, or I never do this. Doug? I'm going to be very interested to, think, to hear what you think the chase is. <laughs> Go for it. Well, I'm going to quote, uh, well, Tim Keller didn't come up with a quote, but he quotes some, I think, 18th century minister or something who says, lay your deadly good doing down, something to that effect. And so instead of just repenting of your sin, repenting of good obedience through the years. Hmm. And so I take that to apply to the, the driving or, you know, what, whatever sort of rule there is, we tend as human beings to try to define, okay, there, here's a line between sin and not sin. So I can do this, but I can't do that, and I'm just going to try to avoid all the sin. And the point of this 18th century minister is, 
number one, we're never going to be perfect in our setting of the line in Saramay at that point. We never really know, you know. Um, but the point, it, that's pride as well. <laughs> that's, that's trying to, you know, make our own self pure before God. And so, in a sense, in my in my mind, it doesn't matter whether I follow this teaching. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's more of uh, um, number one, attitude of not pride, being proud. Mm-hmm. Number two, realizing we can never get it all right. Okay, so proof in point right there is one reason and one way that we justify however we're going to choose to to follow those rules and we each have and that is the chase i to cut to is that we make decisions all the time and we figure out a reason why we make those decisions now i've heard um, some people push back to me on this and say well that's man-made rules that's not god's rules those are are different so okay good point point taken that's yes i i don't believe that god's sitting up there and saying thou shalt not go 80 or 90 on the interstate however What if I said that every single one of those traffic rules, the stoplights, the four-way stops, the don't turn on the left, you can only turn on a right at some point, the go this speed, go that speed, they have all been determined by statistics that have shown that people have died or had accidents because of those very reasons. In fact, whole neighborhoods will petition the city to put a stop sign on their corner because people get hit on that corner or people go too fast without a stop and it's making their children in a dangerous position. Um, There's a reason we have a a speed limit at school zones, right? There's a a reason that even with those stop signs, we have a school guard that goes out and says, okay, if you really really want it, you're going to have to kill me to to do it. Um, What, I mean, does that change anything? To know that that isn't just an arbitrary rule that some man made in order to keep me from getting home as soon as I wish that I got home? What, what if I said that accidents are the number three reason that people die in the United States? And traffic accidents make up 90% of that statistic. Lori?
Who are we listening to? Who are we listening to? When I want to get home at night, who am I listening to? When I'm making that move through the, the traffic stop. When I'm driving my 85 on the interstate, who am I doing that for? When Eve, I'm going to put that picture back up because I am dependent on visuals. When Eve makes her, who is she thinking about? I know we're giving the, the snake big play, and certainly Satan has big play, but who really made that decision, and why did she make that decision? Okay, who did she listen to? Who did she listen to? Oh, did the devil make her do it? She ultimately made that choice. Who did God hold? I mean, if, if it was just the snake, she would still be in the garden. All three of these people played a critical thing. And I, I tell you, I think God holds us more accountable because that was where the relationship was and that was who he was talking with but I'm trying so I brought up this traffic thing not because I'm trying to distract us or or say we should we would be better Christians if we went 70 miles an hour I brought it up because it's sometimes hard to see with so much we see was at stake for when they made this decision. And all the decisions in our lives that we make where what's at stake? We're not going to get caught. No one's going to, you know, even know that we did it. And yet, of course, that is a fallacy, right? I mean, traffic especially. Just because I've never gotten a ticket doesn't mean that I haven't come close to having an accident. Thank God no one saw me do it except the person that's on their horn saying, I'm here, don't run into me. But I, I mean, we, we so often decide what we're going to do. Am I going to get in trouble? Is this going to get me what I want without too much uh, consequence? And yet, there's a huge consequence to that traffic thing. That's what I'm trying to say. Eve did not know that when she did this, she was going to change humankind. She did not go into this decision and say, oh, I think I don't really care if, if the rest, of, if all my children and the descendants of them are, don't get to be in this place with God. I don't care if I don't get to be, be here and in harmony with God. All she could hear is, I have... This is what makes sense to me. 
This is what I want to do. This is what this serpent agrees with me in. Yeah. And surely God's going to forgive me, won't he? Or surely I'm, he's not going to kill me, which he didn't, and which he never said he would. He said they would die. He didn't say he was going to kill them. He just said the con- there's a consequence here, and if you do it, I'm, this is probably what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen to you, and didn't it happen to them? So I'm trying in the so I get, I get kind of stuck in a circle every time I talk about this because even in the tiny what feels like the tiniest most trivial things like traffic stops I can't I can't stand to be under someone's rule I can't stand that someone has authority over me when I think I know better. I'm there. I know how safe I am. I, uh, there, there's something in us as human beings that really balks at someone telling us what to do, anyone telling us what to do. That, and then we are given a choice to respond to that thing inside us and um, we have the choice to say yes but but this is not right or we have the choice to say but wait a minute I'm a person too and I I know what I know how where the limits are even though we have plenty of statistics to show that we don't know where the limits are even in these trivial decisions we still like to believe something about ourselves Go ahead. So, to get back to the traffic thing, um, one, so what the snake did to Eve, I don't know if she was tempted to go or not, but what the snake did was give her permission. Right. right? Yep, definitely. So one reason I do not follow the procedure, I will not go above the speed limit unless it's by accident or I need to jump for something, because I don't want to be somebody else's snake. Oh. Yep. So I do, I stop at every stop sign I come to when I'm on my bicycle. But I don't know anyone else who does that. <laughs> I stop at red lights because I don't want to be the snake that gives someone else permission. Yeah, that's a beaut- That's actually quite. Um, Yeah. No, I, I totally, I, I love these examples, including that one. 
But, but what I'm, I'm really trying to help us see, whether it's in traffic you can hold on to that value or it's something somewhere else that you're losing it, we are prone to want to be our own gods. And if we don't come to terms with that, if we, if we think that somehow, oh, I become a Christian and I'm sinless, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not doing that, you know, I, then we are deluding ourselves. And I'm not saying that we're putting our forgiveness at risk, but we're putting our relationship and our, the harmony that, that God is offering us even while we're still here at risk. And um, I'm, I'm going to just uh, finish up. And I, I, wrote, I wrote this last paragraph, and I'm just going to read it because I, can, I will not say it as well as I wrote it. <laughs> And I, I re- when I wrote it, it almost brought me to tears because I, I felt like this, this is the truth of it. What, because as I was putting this together, and really I, I agreed to do this particular uh, teaching because I thought I had a handle on it. And then when I really got into it, I go like, oh, I'm clueless. <laughs> I, and, and I just have been asking God over and over, what, what is it you want us to know? That we're bad? That we did this? That we're a sinful people? I mean, what, what is it that's going to move us forward? Because I already know I, I have sin in my life. I already know I struggle with it and um, that it's hard to come to. What, what is it? that we should take from this story. And I think one of it is what I've been saying is, I think we, we have to accept that we're people that have our own desires. We are able to listen to the enemy and love it when we get permission from an outside source to, to go ahead and do it. We are always looking for the the reason and confirmation that it's okay, um, and we build those reasons up in all kinds of ways. Some quite delusional and some quite reasonable. That's who we are. We're not an unthinking. But let me just finish on this. So if we are fully if we are to fully receive the grace that Jesus is giving us to enter into a restoration of a broken relationship that started here. So there hasn't been a human being in existence that has been able on their own to keep that relationship and that harmony that we've been talking about together within the course of our journey on this earth. If we're to enter into a restoration of a broken relationship with God, to enter into the presence of God, which we know we've been invited into, not just in heaven when it's all said and done, but right today we 
this church is based on we can, we can touch the robe, the hem of God. We can come close. He comes close to us. We have to come to terms with all the ways we want to be God, to rule our own lives, to choose what is good for us to eat, where we go, what we do, and when we do it. It's not that we can't make other decisions. I mean, we've had examples of individuals that have made different decisions on each of these, you know, questions I've brought up. It's not that we can't make a different decision. But given the choice, just like Adam and Eve, we will be tempted by our own desires, our own lusts. Yes, we have them. If If we say we don't, we are closer to giving in to them than if we accept that this is, one, this is part of our struggle on this earth. So giving in to our desires and our own reasoning, that's what we've been doing today, right? We've been thinking about it. Well, why do we do that? We have all kinds of reasons. I'm not going to get caught. I'm not going to... You know, it doesn't hurt anybody. There's all kinds of reasons that make that a non-consequence decision. So, and egged on by the lies of the enemy. And we don't always see where that serpent is. We don't always recognize the voice that's giving us permission as coming from the enemy. So it's, he, that enemy is very deceptive. I mean, even with, with Eve, the first thing he did was, was try to trick her. And then when that didn't work, he, he did a flat-based lie. I mean, he didn't stop there. He didn't say, oh, well, huh, she's, she's too smart for me. He, he went on with a different tactic. We're, we're being, so that, that's there. And, um, but, so if we don't accept that about ourselves, then we, what we really will have to do is fall on our knees, not if we don't accept, but when we accept that about ourselves, in spite of that, that that's who we are, then we will have to fall on our knees and choose God over and over and over again. I know we like to tell each other, well, I became a Christian. Well, I, I say I became a Christian when I was in my 20s. It changed my life. At 65, that's 40 years plus I am still having to fall on my knees and give it all back up to God over and over and over again. And we will have to humble ourselves and repent over and over again for wanting to be our own gods. But we will do this. Because in the end, there is something we want even more than to be our own God. We want to be in relationship with the one true God, 
our creator. That's the true desire. And I can't remember, Doug, if, or someone was saying, what is the true desire? There's, there's good desires and there's not good desires. Well, the life-giving desire is the one that says we want to be in relationship with our God. And whatever we lost in, in the garden, we want to regain, right? That is a deeper desire than the lust we have for all the apples that are on the tree waiting to be picked. We want to be in relationship with our creator, the one who has known us before we were even born, who knows when we sit and stand, who hears the desires of our heart before we ever utter a word. We want to live in the presence of the lover of our souls. That is what we will always come back to. So, and I think Jesus is saying, don't be afraid to see who you are. Even when who you are means it's not who he wanted us or who he made us to be. Because he is always there. When, when God put them out of the garden, the one thing he did not say is, and I won't love you anymore. You don't get to be in my presence. I'm done with you. Leave. He stayed with us. He's been on this journey we've been on through all these generations back to him. And he came in the flesh through Jesus to say, I'm not, I'm not ready. I get it. You're not going to do this on your own. Do you get it? <laughs> and then he says, but I, there is a way to come. Yep. Yep. So I'm, I'm, let me just finish this in prayer. And then we'll be done with all these traffic rules and you can go and drive however you want. But Lord, there's one thing we ask. Hmm. And our hearts and flesh cry out for you, God. For you are the living God, the creator, our creator. And it's your presence we want to live in. Because better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. Amen.